Thank you for joining us for this week's 908 message. 908 is a contemporary, student-led ministry based out of Concordia St. Paul. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We hope you join us some Wednesday night and are blessed through the words of our speaker. Well, good evening, everybody. It is my pleasure to be here tonight. Um, 908 is just an incredible outlet for our campus and for everybody to be able to worship. I was sitting here praying and I was thinking, there are so many people that are just lifting up the name of the Lord here at 9 o'clock on a Wednesday night, which is pretty outrageously bizarre uh, for college students to be doing on a Wednesday evening, but it's also outrageously awesome. So uh, I just wanted to lift you guys up just for being here. That is a step of faith, that is a step of obedience in your relationship with Christ, and it's a big deal. So that's pretty awesome. All right, so I got a lot to say, not a lot of time to say it, so I'm going to talk pretty fast. We're going to get right into it here, but I wanted to say this first. A really good friend of mine once said that when you're speaking on behalf of the Lord, you had better be speaking humbly. And if you know me well, you know that is not one of my strong suits, um, and that is a joke, but it's also a very uh, real truth. And so before I even open the Word of God, it is already disciplining my heart, it is already correcting me and teaching me and guiding me because the Lord is disciplining me before I've even gotten as far as opening the scripture and, and working on something. And so I wanted to share that. And so if you have grown up in the church, you've heard where I'm going to start. We're going to start in the book of Jonah. If you're one of those people that follows along, if you're not, that's cool because I'm going to read it to you anyway, so it's going to be great. Uh, so if you grew up in the church, you've heard this story. If you didn't grow up in the church, you might have still heard this story because it's pretty bizarre. There's a guy that gets swallowed by a big fish and he lives in there for three days and then he gets spit back up and then he goes somewhere the God tells him to go and then God and him have a big fight and it's kind of weird. Um, but it's also super powerful. And so if you get nothing else out of this, I want you to get this, that what I'm going to say tonight has one overarching theme, and it's this, that the Lord has proclaimed redemption. That's the theme, and that's what we get out of the book of Jonah here. So I'm going to open real fast, and I'm going to start with chapter one of the book of Jonah. And the book of Jonah opens like this. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Because when you run away from God, good things can happen, right? And so uh, Jonah finds out pretty fast that that's not the case. And so I'll recap really fast if you haven't heard this story before. Basically, Jonah gets on a ship. He runs away from God. And Psalm 135, 7 actually says that uh, the Lord keeps the winds in his storehouses. So God is actually in control of the wind. And if you're on a ship, that's really not good news for you. So Jonah's running away from God, and, and this huge storm is happening, and, and all the sailors are going, what the heck is going on right now? Whose fault is this? And they, they figure out that it's Jonah's fault by casting lots, and if you don't know what that is, I don't either. It's not important. The point is that Jonah is the one whose fault it is, and they know it, and he doesn't hide it. He says, I ran away from my God. Now, all of these sailors had been, had been sacrificing and praying to their respective gods, and yet they knew right away, they said, hey, if you believe in the power of this God, why in the heck are you doing the opposite of what he told you to do? Because if you believe in his power, in theory, you should be listening to what he says to do. And so they pray, and, they, and Jonah says, throw me overboard. Jonah says, throw me off of this ship, and everything will get better. And they don't even believe in the Lord God, but they go, well, holy crap. If, it is, if this is why what's going on is, is happening right now, then we don't want to throw you overboard because we don't want to make that guy mad. And he says, no, 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 it'll be okay. Throw me overboard. And so they throw him off the ship, and the wind died down immediately. And what we see is the first act of redemption in the book of Jonah, and it's that those sailors praise the Lord God of Israel. They, they stop worshiping their gods and they praise the Lord God of Israel. And so their lives have been brought into redemption and that's the first aspect that we see in the book of Jonah. So it continues. Jonah gets swallowed by this fish, right? And uh, that's really uh, 
a quite humbling way to be brought back into what God's trying to tell you to do. Like nothing like getting swallowed by a giant fish to slap you in the face and go, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing what you were doing just now. And so he gets swallowed by this fish, and we don't know exactly what happened before this, right? Uh, if, as you saw, the, the call to worship tonight was from the book of Jonah, and he says this. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. And he goes on to say, the waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me. So we don't know exactly what happened, but it sounds like he was pretty darn close to dying. And then God saved him and brought him back out and said, I'm not done with you, and I have a purpose for you here. And so what we see is that when the fish spits Jonah up, he goes to the city of Nineveh, and he goes into the city like God told him to. And he says, hey, you know, God's going to bring destruction if you guys don't figure this out. And what do they do? They repent. Even the king, the king of Nineveh, gets on his hands and knees. He takes off, of, off his royal garments. He puts on a sackcloth. He won't even let his people eat or drink water until they have repented of the sin that's been occurring in Nineveh. And God relents. And Jonah is super, super mad. He actually, he yells at the Lord. And get this, because what he yells at God is pretty bizarre, actually. In chapter 4, verse 2, he says this. He says, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So I don't know how you scream those words at God, because those sound like really good things to me. But he screams at the Lord and says, for I knew you're a gracious God and merciful. He said, I knew you were going to redeem these people. I knew you were going to bring these people back up. And he says to God, if these are the kind of people that you're going to save, then kill me now because I want nothing to do with it. And that's pretty dramatic. That's pretty powerful. He says, God, kill me. And what does God say? God responds at the, the very last verse of the book of Jonah. And he says this. He says, and should I not pity Nineveh? Now, if you don't know, the city of Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's kind of like a modern-day New York City. It's massive. There are just absurd amounts of <clears throat> sin that is growing here. There's absurd amounts of wealth. People have pretty much everything they want. The king has decided to make this kind of like the center of the universe at this time. And what do we know about big cities? We know that sin so easily grows and manifests like a weed in a garden that soon overtakes the entire garden because nobody there was trying to pray to God. So there's a lot of bad things happening, and yet God says, I'm redeeming these people right here because I am good. Not because they're worth it, not because they did something that deserves this, but because I am good. And so... When we wrestle with the idea of God's redemption, there's two aspects. There's two sides to this. You could be like Jonah, and you could be saying to God, I don't understand, and maybe I can't even believe how you could redeem somebody else because of the things that they've done. But maybe you're also like Jonah and not realizing that you are so desperately in need of the redemption of God. That's where I am most of the time and not realizing how deeply I need this in sometimes struggling to believe how deeply true it is that despite how often I act like Nineveh, despite how often I go wrong, God says, I have desired to redeem you here. And so we have to wrestle with a pretty serious truth that comes from the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews 9.27 says that just as it is appointed for man to die once, so it is also appointed for man to be judged. And that is uh, really just sobering if you have a proper perspective of, of who you are and the things that you've done. Because the scriptures are pretty clear in telling us that we've all sinned, that we've all fallen short of the standard that God has declared for the universe. 
And so there's a, there's a judgment for us after we die. And that's tough to wrestle with sometimes. Um, if you think about this, in the United States today, it's probably something nobody has ever thought about, but it's okay, I thought about it. And if, in the United States today, and it's true of most cultures throughout all of history, that the act of treason is punishable by death. The act of treason is punishable by death. And every time that we sin, we commit treason against the high king of the universe and the law that he set forth. And it's super easy for us in 2018 to look at the law of God as some boring concept that was given to the, the, the people of Israel a long time ago. But David, the king of Israel, danced naked in the streets of the city because he was delighting in how great the law of God was. He could not sleep at night because he was delighting in how good the law of the Lord is. So we know that from the beginning, the law of God was meant to be a good thing. And the law doesn't condemn us. We condemn ourselves when we fail to keep it. And that's the sobering reality of, of what the Bible tells us. It tells us that we have failed to keep this standard. And yet, there is so much grace in the fulfilled promise of God in the entire second half of the Bible, the entire New Testament is nothing more and nothing less than God fulfilling all of the promises that he made to Israel. It's him fulfilling all of the promises that he made to us today in 2018 on Concordia St. Paul's campus. And so if we wrestle with the idea that there's a judgment, we have to wrestle with the implication of what Jesus Christ himself did. And so if you Again, you've probably heard this verse before, but I'm going to read it now because it's implication after knowing that there is a judgment after this life is over. Its implication is huge. And it says this in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, he's not denying the fact that there's a judgment. He's not denying the fact that there is an account for what's happened. What he's saying is that for those who are now children of God, that there is something even greater to be known. That the Lord Jesus Christ himself, on the day that we stand before God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ looks at us and says, hey, I've got them. I've got the ticket here. And there's power and there's weight in knowing that. And so, let me find my page. We have to know that that is true. And Somebody brought to my attention last week, I wouldn't have thought of this verse, but it's powerful. And it's this, out of Ephesians 2, where the Apostle Paul again writing says this. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. So if you didn't get that, we were by nature children of wrath, which means that we are the city of Nineveh in the example of Jonah. There's no getting away from that. Scripture is incredibly clear. But he continues to say, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we catch that at the very end, he says, it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. So God is saying, 
I am redeeming you. In fact, I have valued you so highly that I want to redeem you, that I want you to be a part of my family, and yet I'm not doing it because you're awesome. The whole point behind this is not that we were worth it. The whole point of this is that God is awesome. He's saying, I'm doing this because I am great. I want to redeem you to glorify me. And so, he can, and so if we look back at verse 6, he says, and this is an incredibly powerful verse that people skip over a lot. He says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. And that's not a, it's not a future tense statement. It's not even a current tense statement or present tense. That's what I meant. It's a past tense statement. He says, he seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's past tense. So when you accepted Christ, when Christ came into your life to work in your heart and renew your spirit, you were seated in heaven with God at that moment. That your name was written in the book of life that is referenced so many times throughout scripture. It is nothing more than an echo of what Jesus says to his apostles, if I can find the darn thing that I'm looking for. In Luke 20, he tells the apostles, in Luke 10, I apologize, he says, don't be super stoked about all the cool things the Holy Spirit's doing right now. He says, don't focus on that because those are great, but rejoice in the fact that your name is already written in heaven. That your name is already written in heaven. And so as disciples of Christ, as people who have been redeemed by God's grace, our name is already written in heaven and there's power in knowing that because it is the assurance of the salvation, it is the assurance of what's to come. And so praise be to God that he's fully perfect, fully just, and fully merciful through the entire endeavor. Really, it's an echo of what God said all the way back in the book of Joshua, in the first chapter when he's speaking. And this is before Israel has entered into the promised land. It's before all of these promises have already been fulfilled. He looks at Joshua, who's to lead the people of Israel, the same Joshua that fought the battle of Jericho, if you know that song, he looks at him and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And right then he's foreshadowing the promise of what's to come in Jesus Christ by saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you no matter the circumstance, no matter what's happened, no matter what's going to happen. And he keeps that theme up. He says it first in Joshua. When Jesus tells his disciples in Luke, he says, your name is already written in heaven. He's saying the same thing. He's saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, I will bring you to where I am because it's a heck of a lot better. And so we have to wrestle with this, that God is a God of complete justice and in surrendering himself on the cross, God's mercy fully satisfies God's justice. God sacrifices no amount of his character, no amount of who he is in that, but instead he completes the entire picture of what he's been painting and what he's been trying to grasp for all time. And what he's been trying to get us to see it's that in his justice, his mercy is brought to light, and in his mercy, his justice is brought to light. And his character is unwavering and unchanging through that process. And so one of my good friends, this is his favorite verse, and I'm going to read it now because this is the end. This is the completion of that picture and of what we have to grasp and wrestle with right here, and it's this. He says, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present 
nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is what he means. That is what, he, that is what it means to say that the Lord has proclaimed redemption. It's to say this, that nothing Nothing can separate us anymore. And those things that I just listed, in Rome, at the end of Romans 8, and those things are significantly more powerful than we are as individuals. He says life and death can't separate you. Angels nor demons can't separate you from, from where I have brought you, from what I have provided for you here. And so we see that the Lord has proclaimed perfect, uninhibited, unimpeded, Endless redemption for me and for you. Amen. So I'll pray real quick. Father, God, you are full of just endless grace, endless mercy. God, we rest in the knowledge of the assurance of the promises that you have brought us through your son and through your scripture, God. And I pray that as we understand, as we go through our lives and, and begin to understand what it means that you have redeemed our spirits, you've redeemed our souls, God, I pray that we would be people open and receptive to learning what your daily mercies look like for us. God, I thank you for a people on this campus willing to hear your word that desire to praise your name. God, you are good. And we trust in the knowledge of knowing that you are an unwavering God, that your goodness will never end and will never fail us. Thank you, Lord, for this night, for these people. In your name we pray, amen. We are going to move into a personal time of prayer, so feel free to move around, um, group up, pray with others. Uh, We have peer ministers in the back um, at the lamp, and uh, yeah, we will come back in a little bit with more worship.
And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Go in peace.